This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books, with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. My guest today is Brad Taylor. Brad is a former U.S. Army officer who spent time at the Army's 1st Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta, better known as Delta Force. It's a highly classified unit, but if you want to know more about it, just use Wikipedia. He served multiple positions while at that command, including squadron commander, and he was early in to Afghanistan following September 11th, 2001. He's also the author of 15 thrillers, uh, the 16th of which comes out this January 2022. We recorded this back in November of 2019, so we didn't get to talk, obviously, about the recent events in Afghanistan, but I'd love to have him back on to talk about that at some point in the future. Now, without further ado, Brad Taylor. I'm here with Brad Taylor at BoucherCon in Dallas. My first BoucherCon. First BoucherCon. And you've been at this a while. I know. And you haven't been to BoucherCon. No, they, they always have them in September. And I have a recurring security contract every September. Right. Every September they say, hey, you're coming. Every September I say, I can't. September's blocked. And this year it was in October. And I said, oh, yeah, I can come this year. Awesome. So, awesome. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you made it. I've, yeah. I've only been at this a couple of years now. And uh, this is my second one. So I think it's one oh, of the- Oh, I thought it was your third. No, no, no second one. So the, yeah. first, the first book came out in uh, March of 2018. So I hit the 2018 BoucherCon. Yeah. And yeah. then this is the, the 2019. Yeah, okay. And then we'll uh, go from there. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be one of the ones that I hit every year, just so yeah. I can see you. Right. I can see all other kind well, of Well, if they friends. roll it back to September, I'll be, I won't be able to do uh, it. So you do that every year? Every year, twice a year. All right. So, well, I guess yeah. I should start by telling people who you are first. So uh, sure. I'm here with Brad Taylor, <laughs> who is the author of how many novels now? Uh, working on 15. 14 15. comes out this January. Hunter Killer comes out January 7th. That's amazing. Great cover, by the way. Yeah, Absolutely love it. Yeah. And uh, And... I always will start with a little bit of uh, a background, but first our relationship, we got linked up through a mutual friend who yeah. worked with you in the military, he now works at Zev Technologies, yeah. which is a, uh, a Glock kind of aftermarket company. Did you work with Zev Tech? Uh, I, I just know the guys that, uh, that work there. So, I, so how did you run into Mike Hefner? So through that, so through the guys I know that started yeah. that company. Yeah. And then uh, I met him randomly through those guys. Yeah. And then he said, you know what? You got to meet my friend Brad Taylor. He's uh, yeah, yeah. He, he writes. You, do you know who he is? I'm like, yeah, I've I've heard of him. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, would he talk to me? And uh, he's like, yeah, I'll link you guys up. And then you were yeah. like the first person that I that I talked to in the industry because I didn't know anyone. Yeah, in right. Publishing. I know that and, story. Uh, so I, I absolutely I you, know that story. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and yeah, so I Kef linked us up on email. Yeah, and then I wrote you something, and then you wrote me back. It was so nice the things that you said in there, and I couldn't uh, I couldn't be more appreciative. Yeah, I started of that. to. Uh, um, I was just going to give you, yeah, sure, I'll talk to him. Here's a form letter I sent right. you, and I just couldn't do it. So ah. I did, I, everything I wrote in there came from the heart. No, I really took it to, I did take it to heart, and I sincerely appreciated it. Yeah. I have not forgotten it. So, uh, yeah, very cool of you to, to do that. And you're the, you know, the first person to welcome me with open arms to this industry, and I thought it was going to be the exact opposite, and I don't know if you thought the yeah. same thing coming in. I had in. no idea what to think, but you're yeah. right. So yeah. I, I really had no idea what to think, whether it was going to be uh, uh, everybody considered you the competition and right. you know, that kind of thing. And then I came to realize that, uh, like everybody else does, that uh, you know it takes us a year to write a book. It takes people a week to read them. <laughs> I'm right. not competing with you. Exactly. I'm not competing with anybody. Right. They're going to buy both books yeah. if they're well-written. That's exactly. the key is writing a well-written book. If they're both well-written, you're not cannibalizing my sales, and I'm not cannibalizing yours because they're going to buy them both. Yeah, but I think people realize that, and, uh, and that's why all these authors are just so welcoming, inviting, helpful. Yeah. 
Um, and I thought the same thing. I thought it was going to be competition. They'll look at, who's this new guy coming right, in right, on our right, turf right. type thing. But the exact opposite was true. And you were the first one and then everyone else has been, been so amazing. But, um, uh, so we came from military backgrounds, you army, you Navy, mm-hmm. but, uh, when did you decide that you wanted to, to do this? Was it a lifelong passion and you knew you were going to do it after the military or what was your, I did. your journey? It was, it was uh, um, I, I, I wanted to go into special forces and uh, I've always wanted about, to write a book. I've always been a voracious reader. That's just, I read, 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 read everything. In fact, half of your Twitter posts, I'm starting to think, is he cannibalizing my brain? Because <laughs> uh, Mac and P.I. used to be one of my favorite yes. shows. Lethal Weapon is one of my favorite awesome. movies. So every time you post something, I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> but, uh, um, Actually, on my date with my, now my wife, my very first date with her, I was just trying to impress her. And I said, you know, I'm going in special forces. I'm going to write a book. And uh, at that time, I had done nothing. And I was just trying to get her clothes off, which didn't work. <laughs> but the, uh, She's I, smart for I you. spent, you know, 20 years in special operations. Uh, and my last assignment, I was an instructor at the Citadel. And, and it was like getting off a bullet train and, and crawling. I had more time than I knew what to do with. And so I told uh, my wife, hey, I think I'm going to write a book now. And uh, I really thought it was going to sit on the bedside table. I really didn't think it was going to go anywhere. I mean, of course, in the back of your brain, you're like, maybe it will. Um, But I just wanted to write a book. And so I just wrote this whole thing uh, completely out. And uh, having no idea about the publishing industry, I made so many mistakes that it was, uh, I look back on it and think, I can't believe I actually got published. For instance, you know, they... You deal in word count. I deal in word count. Yep. People ask you how many pages. I don't right. really know. I can yeah, exactly. tell you word count. I know exact word count because that's yep. what the world is in right. of publishing. Well, back then, I didn't know that. And so I actually took uh, um, 10 hardcover books and did the first 10 pages and averaged how many words there were on those pages. Wow. And then increased the font of my document so I'd know how many pages I'd written. Oh, as brutal. Like a hard Like a hardback that's book. That's funny. You know? Yeah. And uh, so when I sent it to the first agent, that's how it was. <laughs> it was Fonded like that. That's hilarious. And uh, I'm sure she got it. I was like, what in the hell is this? Oh, that is so great. How did you find her? How did you find an agent? How did well, you know you needed an agent? I didn't even know so, I needed well, one. Well, I, yeah, I, uh, um, I had done just some Google stuff, said, you, you know, I've got to have an agent before you go anywhere. And I'm glad so, I didn't do that, Val. I, I'm glad I did not know that because I might still not be published today. Right. Yeah. Actually, this uh, mine worked out kind of the same way because uh, um, I'm glad I didn't know all the rules of writing and all these things because I never would have written any of this stuff. If so, sometimes I get asked a question because mine's in first uh, person yeah. and third and person. Book. Yeah. And, um, I guess there's some kind of rule. You're not supposed to do that. And you, how'd you know to break that rule? And I was like, why did there's a rule? <laughs> I didn't know there was a rule. If somebody told yeah. me there was a rule. I wouldn't have done it. That's but, so great. But I, uh, I did what a lot of people do initially, which I, cause I didn't know the publishing industry, which was reach out to everybody I know. Does anybody know an agent of any type? Yeah. And my wife's boss knew the producer of Dexter. Oh, wow. The, the, yeah, yeah. The Showtime show. Uh-huh. And next door to his office was a, a literary agent. Okay. Well, she... So no the, way. That's how I did it. Well, it turns out she doesn't do thrillers. She doesn't do any of that. I didn't realize any of this. So I sent it to her. And she, of course, said, this is crap. I don't want it. <laughs> um, and I said, you know, what do I need to do? How do I change this? Right. And uh, so she gave me some tips. Tip number one being fix that font. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't right. send this to anybody that's like hilarious. this again. And she was really nice. But it, later on, as I learned about how agents operate, she was never going to take it because it wasn't her genre. Right. Um, she did like chiclet type stuff. And she uh-huh. was just, there's no way she was going to represent me. And, and I think it, all, all along, it was just kind of like, yeah, I'll do this just to be nice to this guy. Right. Um, and then from then I started doing, I, you know, I finished it, rewrote it, rewrote it, rewrote it a hundred million times. 
And uh, I did the old go to the bookstore, go to the back of every acknowledgement. They always thank their agent. Right. Then go to their website. What do they want? And okay. Everybody wanted something different. Because in, in the age of the internet, uh, you're not sending a letter in. Right. Which they know you've written. You're shotgunning emails. And so every agent wants something different to make sure you actually looked at his webpage and did what he okay. said. Because if you just Got shotgun it, it out and you, he gets something that's not according to what he wants in the webpage, he knows you didn't even uh, bother didn't to take research. take time, right. How many of those did you send out? Oh, I don't even remember. A, a lot. Wow. And people talk about all these rejection letters they get. Well, I, I got what I think is even worse. I, Nothing. I didn't bother to respond. Silence. <laughs> it's just complete Crickets. radio silence. Yeah. <laughs> so I just oh, assume man. that person doesn't care. Wow. And uh, But, you know, some wanted the first five pages. Some wanted a synopsis. Some wanted the old-fashioned query letter. Everybody wow. wanted something different okay. to make sure that you were uh, – um, actually seeking them out. Right. And my agent right now, John Talbot, contacted me uh, after all this had gone through. In fact, I'd pretty much said, okay, that was worth a shot. You know, you know, a little bit in the back of my brain, I thought I'd get published, and sure enough, it didn't. Time to move on with your career. Yeah. And uh, he contacted me and said, I don't know how many agents are trying to get this, but I want to see the manuscript right now. Awesome. And I, <laughs> I looked at my wife and was like, What's wrong with that guy? <laughs> <You know? laughs> He's, yeah. Something something not right about that guy. Uh, and he took it on, and then he, the rest is history. He sold it to the publisher, and I got no published. No kidding. Did it always have the same title, One Rough Man? Uh, it did. It never changed. Everything, uh, none of that changed. Uh, obviously, when it got to the first editor, a lot changed. Um, he, you know, he gave me a two-page editorial letter, fix this, change that, that right. kind of stuff. And uh, I did. But uh, One Rough Man stayed the same the whole time. And we um, discussed all that. When, it was, when he was trying to sell the book, to publishers, and now it's getting a little bit smarter about how this works. I had a lot of the publishers, you know, say, "Yeah, I'd like to buy this book, but I want to." It would just completely eviscerate. Oh, really? You know, I want to yeah. change. For instance, one was, uh, um, "Yeah, I like the whole thing except for the counterterrorism angle." <laughs> so, if you could take out the counterterrorism, like, hmm, that's I mean, going to be a like, little difficult. Yeah, that's what are you, what are you saying? <laughs> and uh, this publisher said counterterrorism doesn't sell, and now I still see these public the same publisher, and I'm like, eh. mm, nice. <laughs> Nice. Well, how did you do, start the path into the military then? Did you do ROTC college? I did. Okay. That's actually another funny story. Um, so I was not a good student. And uh, actually, my twin brother went to the Citadel. My dad went to the Citadel. Uh, and I was born in Okinawa because he was in the military. I had no interest in the military whatsoever. Uh, it just wasn't on my radar. I grew up on a farm in Texas, and that's just, and I went to the University of Texas. And my first year, uh, I was a terrible student. And so I was flunking out of school, basically. And um, my dad said, if you flunk out of school, you're going in the Army. And, uh, you know, I was 18 years old. I was a grown adult, but you're still your father's son. Sure. And I was flunking out. And I was like, looks like I'm going in the Army. And that was the be-all-you-can-be days, you know. And, there you uh, go. I was actually thinking, losers go in the Army. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going in the Army. <laughs> Prison That's or a, Army. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I started researching the Army, reading everything I could read about it. And that's how I found about Special Forces. You know, I read uh, all the SEAL books in Vietnam, Special Forces yeah. book, Max Sog, all that stuff. And it actually didn't look too bad. I was like, you know, they're paying you to jump out of airplanes, you run around the woods with a gun. Not sure why this is so bad, because I grew up in the woods. And uh, so it was by a complete miracle I didn't flunk out of school. My first, my GPA was a 1.2, which was the <laughs> bottom line for staying in. Wow. And uh, so as I called my next freshman year, I decided <laughs> to make uh, the Army my career. And I joined ROTC and, no and went in the Army. But I never would have if I had almost flunked out of school. No way. So you get commissioned, and then where do you go first after that? Uh, I went to the 7th ID. 7th uh, Division was a light division out in California. We yeah. had 
two light divisions at the time, not counting the 101st and 82nd. They started the 10th Mountain, the 7th ID, these big light divisions, okay. uh, where you just basically humped a ruck everywhere. Uh, and then from there, I went to SF, Okinawa, and then to the unit, spent the rest of my time in the unit. Right. So you knew when you were at uh, 7th ID that you were like, going there and you were to do a, go through, yep. do your your uh, your selection, te- the test to get into selection and so, do all that stuff. Like you knew your path. Yeah, I did. I there. knew that. Uh, I mean, I'd done the research on all that. It, it was uh, um, the, uh, you had to go, you know, you had to do uh, platoon level time somewhere. If they wanted infantry. I was definitely going infantry. Uh, actually, I didn't even get infantry. Uh, the, uh, I, I, I wasn't sure if I could make SF. I mean, I wasn't sure if I was physically capable of doing that kind of stuff. So I went to airborne school as a cadet before I signed a contract because nice. yeah. that's the hardest school in the universe. <laughs> and so I got through with it and I was like, man, surely there's something harder than this. Exactly. Wasn't a whole lot to it. Right. 20 push-ups. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, but my dad had gone through airborne school. I kept talking about airborne school. So I right. went through it. I was right. like, yeah, you know, dad, I think you're kind of embellished. But that just wasn't quite as hard as you yeah. made it out to be. Right. And, uh, I did the same one. We, we went to the airborne school just like everybody else until we yeah, got right, our own, exactly. uh, own in-house thing. A yeah. Few we actually later, had some seals in there. They used to give us, <laughs> we all count. had to do push-ups because they were just, you know, Being idiots. Yeah. yeah. Well, they did it on purpose, <laughs> you know, I said, we'll make everybody do push-ups. Yeah. I know I can do more than everybody oh, else. Yeah. But, um, so then I wanted to, I said, I'm going to go to ranger school. And so I started competing for a ranger slot. We hadn't sent anybody to ranger school, uh, since 1976. So from your ROTC? From our ROTC. Nice. We had no ranger qualified personnel on staff. Nobody knew anything about it. All I knew was all the stuff I'd read. Read, right, beforehand. And which was basically, uh, uh, you know, you got to be physically fit. So it's all about no sleep, run around, no food, run around. Uh, nobody ever said you actually had to think. <laughs> so <laughs> I went in completely unprepared. Yeah. I mean, I could ride an op order because that's what you do in RTC. Okay. But as far as patrolling goes, land navigation, all that stuff, I was horrible at it. Uh, and so I got recycled immediately. Oh, wow. Darby face, <laughs> you're done. And I, they were going to kick me out because the guy actually, uh, I failed every patrol. I mean, to me, it was I was doing common sense stuff. So, you know, if, if I get lost, which is a good chance I'm going to get lost, I need to be able to find my patrol base. So if I put it on a road intersection, <laughs> no matter what happens, I'll hit a road. There you go. And I can walk right down the road. To yeah, the makes base. sense. Makes sense to me. But they let me do it. Of course, gave me a big fat F. You're oh, done. Man. And so I was, uh, I was in the no-go line, and the guy out uh, processing me said, I, I see no reason to even give you a recycle. Oh. You, you, don't, you had no <laughs> chance of doing anything. Oh, no. And to this day, I wish I knew who this E6 was. He was a... He had flunked out of A&M, which was our big rival, University uh, of Texas. Uh, and SF had not become a branch yet. This was in 87. And uh, so he was SF qualified in the Ranger Regiment, now teaching uh, at the Ranger Training Brigade. And he took a shine to me because we were in the gulag. All they do is PT you all day. And I was in damn good shape. But I could run all day and hump all night. I just couldn't patrol, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of the thing. Right. They wanted <laughs> your school, yeah. So uh, he took a shine to me and was hazing me every day at the Gulag because I was UT, he was A&M. Uh, and then he liked me for whatever reason. And he says, what are you in here for? And I said, basically, because I'm, I'm, I can't do anything. <laughs> and he said, I have nowhere oh, else to go. <laughs> right. That is exactly what I was saying. It was almost my Richard Gere moment. Exactly. Don't kick me out. I got nowhere else to go. <laughs> exactly. And um, he said, come to my hooch every night after we get hazed in the Gulag. And I'm, I'm not going to teach you how to be a ranger, but I'm going to teach you how to pass this class. And so he started teaching me patrolling, and it's really common sense. Oh, don't walk down the road because they'll ambush you. Yeah, I can see that. And so uh, he taught me everything he had while I was in the gulag. And when I went back in, I got honor grad goes the rest of the way through because it's kind of nice. common sense. You know, awesome. you just don't do this, don't do that. You know, here's right. what you should do. And I could pick it up pretty quickly. 
Uh, and so I graduated Ranger School. I said, yeah, I think I can do this Army thing. And so then I went in the infantry and then went to SFAS and went out to Okinawa. was my first, okay. first assignment. So first group out there. Yeah. And how many years did you do out there? Uh, four years out there. And actually, there's another funny story. The, uh, I was born in Okinawa. Uh, back then, it was Camp Buckner. Now it's Buckner Hospital or something. And my daughter was born in Okinawa. And she was born in the same hospital as me. Wow. So I asked her about it. And they said they've had the same four birthing rooms ever. They've never changed it. So there's a one in four chance she was born in the same room as wow. me. That's crazy. I never figured it out, but I was like, that is crazy. I was like, holy moly. That's amazing. What's amazing to me is you haven't changed birthing rooms? <laughs> I know. You haven't surely, updated this? Right, right, surely Jeez. this is kind of stinky actually, I'm now. I'm not shocked. <laughs> I'm actually, that's not, <laughs> right. not, that doesn't surprise me at all. And uh, so did you have to do language then as part of yeah, a JFK? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Nice. You still got sure. it. Uh, <laughs> did you Have you worked in it as some novels? Uh, I did. I yeah. actually did. It was uh, um, not Ring of Fire. The Widow Strike. The Widow Strike, nice. we did research. We went to Thailand, Singapore, Macau, and Hong Kong. And while I was in Thailand, because uh, if you can speak any Thai, they love that. And I'm running around speaking Thai. And uh, it sounded really good. I got on a tuk-tuk with my wife. Hey, we're going to take the tuk-tuk back to the hotel just for the experience. And it was a long tuk-tuk drive. And um, so I tell the guy in Thai where we're going. He takes off. It starts pouring rain. We're getting soaked. My wife's like, what are we doing? This is crazy. And he stops and says, you know, tells me in Thai, okay, here you are. Let's pay the bill. And I'm like, this isn't our hotel. <laughs> Where are we? But I'm too embarrassed to tell my wife that I clearly have said something like, <laughs> right. take us to Monkey Circle yeah, or something. Until right. she finally calls our maitre d' and says, talk to this guy. Tell him where to go. We were two miles off, the, you know, kind of close, but two miles hey, off. A lot of times passed between uh, yeah. Yeah, SFA and, uh, and So I did work that into a book that it, my miscommunication and things like that. Right. Mike says something and I don't understand what he's saying. Nice, nice. Well, I've worked with uh, first group guys out of Okinawa uh, a couple of times, actually in the Philippines, 2009. Um, I had more SF guys working with me than I did yeah. SEALs. And I learned so much from the, the warrant officer there. I mean, yeah. they, they have a, whatever, that warrant officer SF program, is legit. Yeah. Like those guys come they out of there. A, uh, they're sharp. Actually, they're, they're like right at the E6 level where if you've proven yourself on a team, you can do whatever, whether the MOS is, you know. Uh, and then they have a real cutthroat competition to get into the warrant officer school. Yeah, no, it's serious. I mean, the competition is, because uh, up until that point, all I'd done is kick doors and I hadn't really thought about the insurgency side of things, the yeah. counterinsurgency side of things, uh, kind of that, that broader mosaic and uh, so we got in this competition cause in Philippines, yeah, we're just advise and assist down there type thing, use yeah. some technical stuff and yeah. you know, run some of their human stuff and kind of couple them together. But, uh, just, that was my time where I really studied insurgencies. And that was when the JTF was running a whole, the sock pack was running that whole thing over there. Yeah. Cause yeah. Well, I mean, we did way before after 9-11 that, that spun up, but right. uh, before that we had, uh, uh, I did Balakatan a few times, things right. like that. We just training the guys. Yep. That's all you're doing. Yeah. So we were down there. It was actually a really interesting time. I was upset that I wasn't going back to Iraq or Afghanistan because that's where I all wanted to go. Yeah. But, uh, but when I got there, I really took advantage of that time and uh, learned a ton, particularly from that uh, yeah. Army SF warrant officer. Um, and uh, yes, and a lot of that study that, because uh, it wasn't day in, day out, kicking doors in. Right. Um, a lot of that study uh, found its way into my, my novel. So that was a, yeah. a very uh, a formative time for me as far as just academically studying and being able to then apply some of that to what we were doing in the right. Southern Philippines. So, um, but then where were you on, uh, on nine 11? You were, were stateside at the, uh, yeah, I was actually on alert status at the unit. And, uh, so we were the guys and it was, uh, so we were doing some training with some guys. I can't really talk about it, but, uh, we had some guys, foreigners who were there. Uh, we were doing training with them and I went and run through the bay and everybody was gathered around the TV and they said, Hey, a plane hit the world trade center. And I was like, I don't time for that. Ran down again. Uh, I was doing more training, came back through the bay after lunch, and now there's a huge crowd. 
and they said, you know, second plane's hit now. The Pentagon's been hit, and uh, I was like, uh, that's that's okay. not coincidence. Yes. And training was cut immediately after that, and uh, you know, surprising. We all geared up. This is it. We're going to war. That, yeah, right. And then they grounded all the planes. Well, I guess we can't <laughs> magic ourselves there. Yeah. We'll just wait until the planes come back up. But it wasn't too long after that that yeah, you found right. yourself on, uh, I think I've seen a picture of you on an aircraft carrier with yeah. a mutual friend. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, not too long after No, no. 11. It didn't take long, but it was, uh, we did do a lot of uh, spin-ups on various things. Because, I mean, everybody was just kind of going crazy. Yeah, no one knew. I mean, Sox yeah. was going nuts. Everybody was just losing their mind over what, you know, where are we going? What are we doing? Yep. And so it took a little while for everybody to coalesce around that. And then eventually they did. And we, we went into Afghanistan. Yeah, no, that was uh, amazing. And that, uh, that mutual friend found his way as uh, inspired one of the characters in my second oh, no novel. Kidding. Yeah, so no he's kidding. in there with Does a different, different nickname. Oh, yeah. Oh, no uh, kidding. So he's got a different nickname, but it's yeah, yeah. similar. And yeah, yeah. Uh, a very similar oh, background. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you those pages. I'll take a yeah, picture of them and, uh, and send those to you. <laughs> but, uh, and then that was a, like a, a three-month deal. And then you came back and yeah. just started to, uh, to get ready to go back again. And yeah, kind of I started, that, uh, that was, uh, um, yeah, it was three or four months. I can't remember how long it was. And we came out and we started doing the rotational stuff. Then I went to CGSC. Uh, and right after CGSC, you know, Iraq was bubbling up. That's the next big thing. Uh, and then we crossed into Burma and Iraq, and then that became just a constant rotation. Got it. Four months on, four months off. Four months on, four months off. And you're in there from the beginning all the way till well, I guess 2008. Yeah. Just over and over and over again. And that's and, when uh, and you retired in. So, well, that's when that? I went to the Citadel. I actually 2008. I ended up. I finished Squadron Command, and uh, the there was a lot of options out there. None of them were very palatable because I've been deployed forever. Right. And. Obviously, the next higher command of the unit wanted me to come there, and then SOCOM had billets and all this, and I was like, I'm taking a break. I'm going down the Citadel, um, which everybody was floored about. They're like, what are you doing? You're tubing your career, which I probably was. I don't know. Um, but I needed a break, and so I went down to the Citadel and to teach. And uh, once I got down there, my wife was like, if you didn't if you, want to, if you want to stay in the army, you should have brought me here because you don't realize the stress you're under. Everybody's yeah. doing it. Right. Your whole everybody's it's, it's your normal. Is, yeah, it is your normal. Mm-hmm. You and, have no idea that people are actually not doing this. Right. That somebody is not getting shot at. There's you know everybody else is. Right. And when we got down to Charleston, uh, you know, within a year, she it was just complete eye opening to the point where even uniform stuff. So I because uh, I never wore a uniform, and even if I had Fort Bragg, is just full of uniforms, so nobody really cares about that. And uh, I put on my uniform for the first time forever. It, my wife actually was at uh, Fort Bragg closing on our house when I was there, and I realized I don't have any badges or tabs or anything. I didn't have any uniforms. That's stuff. hilarious. And so she bought it all and shipped it to me, and I put it all on, and uh, I'm taking my daughter to school, which is, I never got to do at Fort Bragg, so it's one of the perks. And uh, she says, you know, Daddy, why, why are you wearing a costume? That's funny. She had never seen me in uniform. I'm like, wow. are you kidding this is an army uniform. I explained that's to her. I'm in the army. <laughs> yeah, well, at that uh, at the place you're at, that's uh, yeah, that's it's not surprising that she hadn't seen you in uniform. But I had to, another person. I was filling up the, my car, and uh, so it's still kind of fresh, just being in this kind of civilian world thing. Yeah. And uh, this guy kept staring at me as I'm filling my car up, and I'm in uniform. Um, but I'm in Charleston. You don't see a lot of uniforms in Charleston, and so I'm filling up. He keeps staring at me, and I'm thinking that guy's got some kind of he's some kind of anti war protest or something. <laughs> and so. Um, I go in to pay. He comes in, and he's still staring at me. And so I turn around and say, you got a problem with me? You know, I cursed at him. You know, what, what the F do you think is your problem? Uh, and 
he says, no, my daughter's never seen a Green Beret. She wanted to shake your hand. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm a little on edge. <laughs> I've had a rough sure. last eight years. I'm sure he walked out going, I'm never going to take another Green Beret right. in my life. Oh, man. I couldn't believe it. So I, you know, after that, I was like, okay, if someone's looking at you, it's because they haven't seen the uniform and they probably want to thank you for your service or something like yeah. that. No, it's that's kind amazing. of embarrassing, though. <laughs> no, no, that's good stuff. Uh, and so, so you had a solid run there, but you did about as much as you could do as an officer tactically going yeah. forward. If you'd stayed in, you would have gone on to yeah, you're yeah. deployed downrange, but you're really not tactically right. on the ground with the boys leading, right. going, doing the thing. Uh, so you got out at the at a, at a great time, had a great yeah. run, went to the <laughs> Citadel, got to take a breath, yeah. which is great, and then make the decision to follow this uh, yeah, next passion into publishing. So I had uh, I came out on the Bird Colonel list, and uh, the book sold. And I was like, holy moly, now what? So you either take the promotion or you try to see if you can make a writing a career. And I'll be honest with you, if I had known how hard it was to get published and how hard it was to be a writer, I, I would have stayed in the Army. Yeah. Because <laughs> they just don't know that. Good thing you don't know. Yeah. Right. And so, oh, maybe not. Because, you know, you and I, we're both, you know, you could say no all day long and I'm going to say, yes, I can. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, what are the odds? Oh, yeah. It sounds good. To me. I'll be in that 1% yeah, or exactly. half a percent. Yeah. Why wouldn't I be? Yeah. Why would I? Yeah. It's never. So uh, uh, I had a long conversation with my uh, wife and everything. My daughter was entering high school. Um, and that's when she made the comment. If you want to stay in the Army, you shouldn't brought me here. I'm not going back to that pressure cooker. My first right. assignment was unaccompanied to Pakistan for two years. Wow. Um, and so I said, no, nah, I'm going to turn down promotion and I'm going to try to be a writer. Nice. Um, and it worked. It's a miracle. Now, I, I mean, I come to all these conferences, which I meet all the people that are yeah. writers. Because it's solitary work when you're writing by yourself. You're just kind of like you're just doing it, writing it. You, I had no idea how hard it was to do it. Now, Well, you didn't make it easy. You started doing two a year. Oh, I know. How on earth? Well, why? first, why did you do two a year? <laughs> so, and, then, and then how did you do two a year? Because so one a just, year is tough enough. To this day, I don't know how I did it. But I had... What was happening was uh, I still had to, you know, my daughter still needed shoes. So writing wasn't paying the bills. Uh, I, so I did a lot of security contracting. I mean, I turned into a whore like everybody else does and threw my shingle out there and got hired by whoever to hire me and uh, go run around doing contracting stuff. So I'd look at my schedule and say the book was due in December. I would have contracts from July until January. And so I said, well, I got to get in in July because I'm not going to be able to write when I'm doing all this other stuff. And so I turn it in in July and uh, the books are all about current events, so they, something could go bad on current events, and the book could be worthless. And so I would just sit there and beat my publisher up. Why aren't you putting it out? Why aren't you putting it out? Why are you waiting for? I gave it to you. Let's put it <laughs> Let's out. Let's do there. this. And uh, they said, "Well, you know, you're not our only author, Jackass Boy. <laughs> you're slated for December. You'll right. go out in December. We yeah. got a little program here. We uh -huh. follow." Well, that happened for uh, three books. Okay. And uh, while I was getting them in, and six months of screaming, and my uh, publisher said, "Okay, smarty pants. Uh, we'll do How about two, two a year. smart guy. Yeah, uh -huh. you think you will do two a year?" <laughs> and so I was like, "I had made that schedule up to that point because I had the opportunity not to make it. Got now it. I had to make it. Right. And I was like, holy moly, what have you done?' So the first two, and it actually wasn't even two. I was doing two novellas and two yeah. books a year, uh, which included two book tours, two book research trips, two of everything. And you're not really—it's not even two books because you're." You're writing a book while you're editing a second book while you're promoting a third book. Right. And uh, to the point where I would get asked questions in uh, on the book tour that I couldn't. I'm like, that was two books ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's just now coming out. But right. I mean, I'm oh, on yeah. a whole different book. I'm not even sure who, what character. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. He did what? Yeah. It's <laughs> incredible. Um, it sounds great, though. So I did that for, uh, I think, four years. Jeez. And uh, 
the last time it was it was it was falling apart. It really was. And well, you're doing two books a year, two novellas a year, and contracting. Oh, and a family. So, oh yeah. Well, no, the contracting dropped. I, I okay. had to make a decision, and so in fact, it dropped to these two. I do. That's all. Well, I do now. that's still doing yeah. them. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, except for that, these the contract I do I actually do get time to write there. Yeah, so nice. It's kind of like a break, and you, you're locked into a barracks all by yourself. Oh, okay, so that's all you can do. Got it. Um, but uh, it was falling apart. It was. Uh, I think it was Ring of Fire. I remember coming home and telling my wife, "I'm not gonna make it. This deadline, I'm not gonna meet it." I burned the candle at both ends for so long that I was just like, "This is. I'm not gonna meet this deadline." Yeah. And uh, I was worried. You know, what am I gonna do? And actually, I was thinking long term because I'd signed this contract. I had another, you know, four books I owed them at two at this pace, and I'm like, I'm not going to make this one. I'm certainly not going to make the other ones. Uh, you know, I'm just burned out. Yeah. And uh, my publisher actually called me and says, "Hey, we're thinking about going back to one a year um, for very sales reasons yeah, and yeah. all this other kind of stuff. You're cannibalizing yourself and all those right. kind of things." And uh, I was like, Roger that. Okay, you know? that sounds like a great <laughs> idea. That's a great idea. Yeah. Actually, I go, that, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I can no, do I it. Said, That's but a okay. great idea. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. So that book I got an extra uh, six months on. Nice. Got it in and then started doing one a year again. Got it. And I honestly have no idea how I managed it. Yeah, I can, yeah one a year is, is tough okay. enough with all the promotion and then branding yeah, and I just, learning. I, I don't know how I did it. I mean, I look back and the books are really good books. I mean, I, I still read them and I think, and that's the other worries, you know, you got a whole year to do a book, and you're always worried: is this thing gonna just be a piece of crap, or can I make it? Can I still write right. a good story at a six months pace? You don't even have time for that. That's wild. It's like get Can't the imagine. book out. Yeah, I don't care what happens; the book's got to go out. And uh, each one of them are really good. And I mean, was, of course, they're my books, but uh, I've heard I that too. Really good. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, where did the novella idea come from? Like, like, well, I'm doing two books a year. You know what I should do? I should write two novellas <laughs> well, also. That was, that was actually, uh, um, originally, it was uh, just a marketing thing that my uh, publisher wanted to do. And so they, you do them for a pittance, and then you give them an excerpt of the book. And the theory right. being that uh, if they pay a, you know, 50 cents for this short story, it's only on ebooks. If they yeah. pay 50 cents or a dollar, whatever it was, for that, they'll like that. They'll read the excerpt and they'll buy the book. Got it. Which I fought back over and over on and said, I don't want to do that because you're predicating them buying the book on this short story. So it has to be good. It has to be good. <laughs> right. They could read the short story for a nickel and say, that guy can't write. And they might have bought the book sight unseen. Uh, and now they're not going to buy the book because of that short story. Okay. You thought that through. And so I, I put a lot of effort into short stories. And uh, so the first three I did... Um, they started getting longer and longer and longer. And then I wrote The Target, which was basically 32,000 words. I mean, it's a quarter of a novel. Uh, and they were like, hey, you need to tone these down. And I was like, hey, <laughs> sorry about that, but you know my theory on this. They have got to read these things, and they've got to be, uh, in order to buy the book, you've got to write a good good short story. Well, it must work because you're still doing it. We just had one come out this last I year. I did. I, and I actually... Uh, um, that one was I, the last two that came out were kind of easier to write because I had an idea in my head, uh, like in opera, um, operator down. Yeah, it was operator down. Uh, two of the characters mentioned they've gotten married, but they don't really talk about the wedding, and they do talk about how something there was a, the wedding was a shit show, and you don't really know why. And so it, always, it sat in my head, what was the shit show about that wedding? And so that was a short story. Got it. I just came oh, that's up cool. with it and led right into it. And I uh, spent and I'd done all this research in Israel, and. Tel Aviv and Haifa and all these other places ended up in the book, but the old city hadn't, even though I'd done the research, it didn't yeah. end up in Operator Down. So nice. then I made the wedding in the old city, and awesome. so it's kind of all was done yeah. so I could do it. 
Oh, no, that's great. And so it worked out. That was, that's a pretty good short story, too. And so the last one, the one that just came out on Tuesday, Exit Fee, um, came about because Amina, in Daughter of War, I created this uh, refugee child who uh, was going to exit stage left uh, a quarter of the way in. Her whole purpose in life was to have her and Pike collide so that Pike could then get on the threat vector and kill everybody. Got it. Um, but I liked her too much. I was like, man, I really like her. So I kept her in the story, uh, which was really hard to do because she had to, she has to contribute to the plot. Move it forward. You know, she can't just be holding onto Pike's lapels the whole time. Right. Who cares about that? So I figured that out. And then all the way through it, at the very end, uh, I had, I, I don't want to give it away, but I did something that now she's part of the Pike Logan universe. And I was like, now what do I do? It's <laughs> that this, problem solving. I like that. So now I've got yeah. this character. That you can't you can't start because you're writing a series. You can't start the next book and just say forget about everything that happened in the past. Right. This is all new. Right. You know. So I had to figure that out. And while I was trying to figure it out, that's where the short story came from. So nice. that was kind of wrote itself too. I was like, uh, their relationships, how this is going to work, who's doing what, all that came out from. Uh, it was in my head thinking about the book Hunter Killer that's coming out. How am right. I going to address all that? And so you had all the stray errata in my head. I was just like, I'll throw all that into a short story. Yeah. Nice. And then the first two chapters, or the first uh, something is from from Hunter Killer, is at the end of that. Yes. Well, yes. Leads yeah. into Hunter Killer. Yeah, I think it's four chapters. I think it is. Awesome. And that's the one thing is they always want to do excerpts that. Uh, so sometimes I write in. Uh, you don't meet Pike until chapter four. And they're like, hey, can you move him earlier? No, it's my book. That's how <laughs> this thing's gonna go. Right. There's a flow to this. I'm the thing. author here. Yeah. Because they want when they know they're looking at it marketing wise. If I yeah. do an excerpt first four uh, first four chapters and none of it has Pike in it, right? That's not going to sell the book. Got so, it. Uh, we said, well, do five then. Got it. <laughs> yeah. And so, what have you over these years that you've been doing this now? Uh, what is that that process? Has it evolved? And what what have you found that is the most uh, what's the, your most efficient process that uh, that you, had, you started on a certain date, finish on a certain date? Are you disciplined yeah. in that approach? Like, or is it still mine's total yeah. chaos? So yeah, is, it, mine what is, is yours? absolutely it's. It's stream of consciousness. I, I, the, uh, I tried the because you read the, all the, the advice columns, you know, write 1,000 words a day or 1,500 words a day, whatever it is. And invariably, I found out I ended up dumping it because it was crap because I was forcing myself to write stuff. Uh, and so mine is I, I, I developed what I call a framework. It's not an outline per se. I know the threat. I know the characters or at least the sect of the characters, whether that be Russians or Sunni terrorists or something. Right. I know they're coming from somewhere. And I used to say I know how it's going to end, but that's that's about 80% of the time now. There's been about 20% of the time where I completely changed the ending just because yeah. by the time I got there, it made more sense. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I'll start uh, doing all the research. Uh, like the book I'm working on now is about uh, China and Taiwan and the threats to, you know Australia and all that. And so I've read probably seven books on Taiwan Strait, China's hegemony, um, there's all just all kinds of these books on. Are that you stuff. taking notes as you go through? Like, hey, this part is going to work its way into the plot, that sort of I, thing. Actually, I don't because I'm not sure yet, but I do flag everything. So you know those little yellow tags that come out. Yeah. So I'll highlight something, and it's not that if this is going to be at point X, it's I might be able to use that. Got it. Tag, 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 and then if I get there, I'll say, I remember there was something that I, and I'll flip through the book, and oh, there it is. Or there's certain things like you read a lot of technical stuff. Uh, on China, they they have the actual names for the intelligence agencies. You know, we call it the MSS, Ministry of State Security, but they actually have you know a Chinese name. Got it. And you'll never find that again. So I'm flagging that. Right. You know? Oh, I'm gonna put that in there because somebody that knows Chinese is gonna go, wow, look at him. He's yeah. got. It. 
Do you do that in Word? Do you write in Word or do you write in Scrivener? What do so you use? I haven't tried Scrivener. Gotta uh, try it. You oh, it's so good. Put me onto that. Yeah. And because uh, you can drag that research in, so right. you're not like in your head. Right. Like, what book was that of these right. ones? Where? Which tag is that? So like, uh, we went back and forth over that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And uh, so I have not downloaded because I haven't actually started putting. Got it. Word, but I am gonna uh, definitely download it. Yeah. No. It's definitely. Um, it's it's helped because you can drag that research in. Yeah. You can have your notes in there. You can break it up by uh, like post notes so you can see, oh, I can drag right. and drop chapters instead of cutting and pasting. Well, there was pasting. two things that I really liked, uh, and this alone would make it worth for me. I type in at the bottom of the manuscript all of the names. I uh, need to do that. Because of, of the characters. Because yeah. they're always, whether it's Sunni Arab, Russian, Chinese, it's hard to remember those things. Yes. And actual places, too, that are hard to remember. Uh-huh. Uh, Island off of Brazil, which is in Hunter Keller, it's a weird spelling, XP something, 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 and I couldn't ever remember how to spell it, right. so I would put that down there. Well, the Scrivener, you can just roll that stuff exactly. in. Exactly. And so, it's so nice. I told Elaine, when we, after we'd gone back and forth, I told my wife, I said, that alone is worth it. The rest of the stuff is maybe great, yeah, yeah. but that alone, if I don't have to keep scrolling to yep. the bottom of my manuscript to find those, you know, <laughs> cut and paste totally. and put it back up. Yeah, and, just, so, and uh, watch the videos. Like, each one is about once like five minutes, 10 minutes, I think is the longest one, but the videos on the Scrivener website that show uh-huh. you just go spend a couple hours and go through okay. those is totally, totally worth it. I've seen a, a couple of them, but I, yeah, yeah we'll go through Yeah, them. I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm completely Yeah, you're sold obviously a big fan. Actually, that. I was thinking, what does he uh, sponsor for him? I know, <laughs> not at all. I just, uh, just sharing the info. <laughs> I, I, Scrivener I committed. Hat on. I know, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sponsored by Scrivener. Yeah, no, exactly. And another thing I noticed, um, so I looked at you as the, as the, the model coming out because you've been in the military, you've made that transition. Obviously, you were at the, the top of the, the special operations pyramid, did amazing things. Um, but you did, you made that transition into, into publishing without doing a nonfiction. Um, yeah. and, you, uh, and I wanted to, to write fiction as well. So I saw, saw you and uh, saw how you did it. But I also noticed how humble you were and how that people have to drag out of you what you did yeah. in the past. And obviously, it informs your, your writing and, and all that right. stuff. And, but, uh, but people have to drag you very humble about the things that, well, you, it's that just, you've done. Well, it's just, it's, uh, you know, you spent 20 years at a party not telling anybody what you do. Right. Uh, till now, the publisher's like, we're going to put it on a banner. <laughs> You're going right. to run around and beat your chest and say all this stuff. And it's just, uh, yeah, I just don't like doing that. Yeah. It's really not. To people like you, it's easy to do. But to somebody else, you know, you'd, and I get asked questions all the time. It's Even on uh, interviews with people, they'll just flat out ask you this yeah. completely classified question. Right. Like, I can't talk about that. I told you before I came on, I can't talk about it. Now you're asking me on air, you think I'm going to talk about it? No, I'm not talking about it. Right. Ruins the whole interview. They ended 20 minutes early. Yeah. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> asking that guy back. Yeah, Let's exactly. bring a seal in here. He'll tell everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I noticed that and saw how well you uh, you did that, how well you made that that transition. That was really a model for, uh, you know. Yeah, well, me. at the end of the day, my respect of my uh, mates is more important to me than mm-hmm. selling a book. And I've always held that at the heart is like, no, I'm not going to do that because if I look down, uh, if it seems kind of skeevy to me, then I'm not doing it. Right. And, uh, uh, I just never have. Right. And they, uh, and for the most part, so I was worried like, Hey, I, I've spent a lot of time with these guys. I don't know if they know, a lot of them know the difference between fiction and nonfiction. It's going to yeah. go in just the book category. Oh, it definitely and did it, with me too. Yeah. I mean, there's always somebody out there that did, but I have a good enough reputation and I still work with enough people that they, uh, uh, and that, they all read them before I awesome. publish them. They, you know, take this out, take that out. Awesome. Not so much anymore when I first started writing, but now yeah. I'm so far removed. From right. It, it's like, right. It was so fresh back then. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, now I think, so I'm, uh, what did I, I got out in 2016. So this is the third book I'm finishing up, but it's so far removed. 
that uh, I'm studying things and just getting stuff from the news and exactly. books and everything else. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's really the feelings and emotions behind those things that exactly. happened in the past that I'm incorporating. And, uh, that, never, that will never change. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Hunter Killer was a lot, it was kind of a, going retrograde back to a lot of stuff happens in the book that uh, uh, I know it's, you know, the emotions aren't going to change. And yeah. the, the TTPs, um, all the electronic stuff is what's impossible to keep up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just cause you know, there's surveillance it's changing real time. Oh, it is. Yeah. And it's all caught stuff. Now it used to be, you know, the CIA had their version of Q and they had the neatest toys in the attic. Uh, now that everybody's buying it from radio shack, you know, cause <laughs> they have the neatest toys cause they can do it so much quicker. Right. Uh, and you know, most of the criminals are developing TTPs that we now use because they figured out how to make it to steal money. Well, I can figure out how to, catch a guy using yep, that. that game so, of constant adaptation yeah. so and it's fun to to go and do that research and do it from a because i never did any of that in the military but to study that now and then figure out oh wow how is this affecting operations today especially if you're doing something yeah. more on the, the darker side of things like wow they have to contend with all this all facial right. recognition and yeah you know what all these other things and so i'm going to weave those into uh to, to plots and storylines and yeah and actually it's, that's a hard thing too is that you, you got to figure out um so when pike's team does a hit somewhere uh, there's cameras all over the damn place now. Right. You know, they t- the Mossad did the hit down in uh, uh, Dubai at uh, Al Bustan Rotani Hotel, which I used in a book. Nice. So I went down and did a battle site survey oh, that's where, awesome. he, where he got hit. And there's cameras everywhere. And they broke that thing open within 24 hours. It was Israelis yeah. who did this. Here's the passports they had. Here's what they look like. Now, the Israelis had made it out of the country, but they Still. found it all. Yeah. And so every time I'm doing this uh, hit somewhere, I'm thinking, okay, I got to figure out how they did this without any cameras, or could they take yeah. the cameras out? So sometimes yeah. they take them out, sometimes they do this. Right. At least they're thinking about that. Right. Um, and that's another funny story. It's the reason you do on, on the ground research. So the big diabolical trap was they were going to have this elevator. They were going to blow the cables in the elevator. It was going to drop 120 you know, floors and smash into the ground and kill this ambassador. So I did the Albuston Rotani. They picked that. The bad guys picked that hotel because that's where these guys had killed their man. They were going to do the same hotel, blah, 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 blah. So I get on the ground, and the hotel's four stories tall. That's it. Jeez. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't see it anywhere in the pictures. Oh, that's it, amazing. It doesn't show anything. Yeah. And not only that, it's got elevators. That, the strangest thing ever. I've never seen it in any other hotel. Elevators at all four corners. So there's not an elevator bank. Interesting. It's four corners. And I was like, how on earth like, are they going to... Of the one place. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. How am I going to be able to design yeah. a, a trap where they know which elevator they're going to use and they can't rig them all? So I went to the uh, Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world, and that's the one I ended up using, which is a much sexier thing. Nice. So that, blew that elevator up, and it fell bazillions of stories into the ground. Oh, that's perfect. Perfect. Awesome. And when does, when does Hunter Killer come out? Uh, January 7th. January 7th. Oh, early. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I thought it was, yeah, that's great. So that, that comes out the 7th, and then you used to always come out in January, right? Now that yeah, you're doing yeah it's going February, January. Okay. Well, of course, when I was doing two a year, it was uh, June, July, February, January. And that, uh, you know, that's, that's chicken bone magic from the publisher. I don't know. Right. They pick the dates. I don't know. That's amazing. Say. Okay. So that's coming out then. So January 7th. And where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at uh, bradtaylorbooks.com. Um, they can read excerpts of any of the books that are all posted there. Uh, Hunter Killer's not up yet, but it will be soon. And uh, I'm on uh, Facebook, Brad Taylor Books, Facebook, and Twitter, same thing, Brad Taylor Books. Awesome. And you, do, you have blogs. People can sign up for the newsletter, and you do blogs every yeah. now and again about uh, current events, yeah. your take I on things. To, I did a lot more in the past, and I should get back on it. Um, like we just smoked out Baghdadi, there's a bunch of stuff that happened on the news. Usually, the only reason I blog is I see a bunch of talking heads say something and it aggravates me, and so I <laughs> write a blog. About and usually, it. you start the blog exactly. with those. I noticed you're like, "All yeah. right, <laughs> okay, people, <laughs> everybody, take a deep yes. breath because here's what's going on." Um, 
And Al Baghdadi had there was a lot of people saying stuff that I'm like that's not accurate. Yeah. Was, I didn't have the time. I was in Australia, just came back, was coming here, and I didn't yeah. have the time to write a blog. I no, should you, have. You've been busy. You've been busy. But uh, I know you got to go. So we're at that yep. at that time. You're a busy man out yeah, here at BoucherCon. Wow. And uh, well, I want to thank you for for doing this. No, and thank you. I want to uh, well thank you for your time at the tip of the spear as well. And thank you for uh, being such a good example to those of us who are leaving the military, turning that page and moving on and transitioning out. It uh, means a lot to me and I know I'm not the, not the only one. So uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, let's go get some drinks at the bar. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. Find out more about Brad Taylor and his work at bradtaylorbooks.com. You can also follow him on the social channels at bradtaylorbooks.com. Books. His most recent thriller comes out this January called End of Days. If you liked our conversation, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me at officialjackcar.com. You can find the merch at jackcarusa.com. Until the next time, take care, stay safe, keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you, do you fit in? Exactly, Which box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy or <laughs> right, right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.